0: I invite you to Matthew 19. We're going to continue this morning working through this gospel account, and we're going to look at verses 16 through 22 this morning. Matthew 19. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and if you do not have A Bible. We have Bibles in the vestibule here. We have Bibles in our overflow. And we would love for you to pick up a copy today as our gift to you. If you are able, would you please stand in honor of the reading of this portion of Scripture? Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Thank you. What do you still lack? What do you still lack? Let's pray together, ask the Lord to help us this morning. Father, we love you and praise you. We have declared our faith through song together today and it has been a rich joy to do so, the victory that we have in Jesus and that part of that victory is that you hold us fast. So we are forever grateful, Lord, for who you are and for all that you do for us in Christ our Savior. And We love you and we give you glory, we give you honor and praise today. And it's often the case, we confess as maybe, for the most part, being people who are regular church attenders that we've we've come across this story on more than one occasion and so we're we're basically familiar with it and sometimes familiarity can be our our weakness when it comes to scripture we've heard the story we've read the story we've talked about the story we're familiar with it and so we're not really looking for something today and and yet there's something here for each and every one of us, myself included. Your Word is alive and active. And so I pray that we wouldn't be comfortable or or we wouldn't go into uh, kind of a, a passive mode today, but we would be spiritually actively listening and watching and waiting and listening for you to speak and and to move in our hearts to encourage us Lord in the faith to challenge us in the faith to teach us in the faith today that while we are gathered and submitted to your, your precious holy infallible and errant word that your spirit would be at work conforming us to the image of Christ building your church for your glory that there would be wonderful and marvelous things done today, maybe even the granting of new birth and new life. So we we come before you and we just ask for your will to be done. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts that are thirsty for you. And may we find, God, that you are our fountain of life. You are the one that fills us. Nothing else can take your place. Nothing compares. Nothing, not one single thing. Give us that heart devotion, Father, for you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. As I said, uh, just now praying, today's text is its a familiar encounter, Jesus and this young man, and this young man is really, he's, he's asking one of life's most important questions. There's no doubt about it. This is one of the most important questions you can ask in life, and yet this encounter has a truly tragic ending. We've already read verse 22, we've, we've already read it together, this, this young man walks away from Jesus. Tragedy of tragedies, nothing could be more tragic than that because Jesus is the answer to the question of eternal life. Jesus himself is the answer to the question. Remember, we, we, just, we just read the verse together. Remember our treasure verse. John eleven twenty five. 25. I, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though we die, yet shall he live. Jesus is the answer. And this young man walks away from him. What makes this story even more devastatingly tragic is that this young man is so close. He's so close to the answer that he's seeking. Number one, he has an audience with Jesus. You can't get any closer to the answer than than he is right here in this conversation. He's, He's standing there talking to Jesus, the only one who gives eternal life. His belief system, his belief system has some truth in it. He's aware that, that life continues beyond the grave. There's life after death. He's aware of this. He, he, he is also aware that he needs to prepare in this life. He can't wait until that life to get ready. He's got he's to get ready for that life in this life. He understands that. He believes that he realizes the next life is is not one that comes to an end. It's an ongoing, never-ending life, the next one. So he understands there's an urgency, there's a necessity about this life in anticipation of the next life. And even with all of his wealth, even with all of his possessions... He has an understanding of his own mortality. He understands he he can't keep himself alive. He, He can't keep himself going. He understands this. So he's so close. He is so very close to possessing eternal life, and yet he is so very far from it. He's got the right desire. He's even tried to live an honorable life. There's just one thing, one thing he lacks. And that one thing, in the end, will prevent him from obtaining and enjoying life everlasting sadly, this tragedy is repeated throughout history, even in our own day, in our own time, maybe even with some of us who are gathered this morning. There's one thing in our lives that we cling to. We hope and, and we think that if, if, if everything else is basically in the right place, we'll be fine. We'll, we'll be right with God. There's no need to worry about this this one thing. If we're 90% there, if we're 99% there, th- then surely this one thing won't matter. But what matters about that one thing is that it matters so much. It matters too much to us. And yet, as long as we keep clinging to that one thing... That one thing will never know the fullness and joy of eternal salvation. This young man had the right question What do I still lack? What's still missing? Why am I still empty? What do I still lack? He, he, he had the right question. He just couldn't resolve himself to the right solution, to let that one thing go. We might say, let that big thing go. So may the Lord graciously work in our lives today. And as we study this text together so that our story won't end in the same tragic way, May it be that we enter life, we enter eternity clinging to Christ rather than clinging to that one thing, whatever it might be. So we're going to look at this text under two main points today. Number one, the, the failure of obtaining salvation through pursuing good works. The failure of obtaining salvation through pursuing good works. This man had the right goal in sight, didn't he? He had eternal life in sight. That's where he wanted to end up. That's where he wanted to reach eternal life. He had the right goal. He was just on the wrong path to obtain it. He was going in the wrong direction to reach his goal. So he asked, what good deed? What good deed must I do to have eternal life? He wanted eternal life. He, he knew he needed eternal life. But, but he was pursuing salvation in, in, in absolutely the opposite direction. He thought he could obtain it. It was something that he was to do. It was something that, that, that by good deeds, he could kind of work his way, step his way through the pearly gates. He thought he could could reach eternal life doing good works, living an outstanding moral life, kind of getting all of his ducks in a row, putting things in in place. He he could do this or he could do that or or, or maybe there's just one thing that that he's missing, just just one more thing because he's he's done so many other things, right? And and if he could do that one thing, then, then... then he could outweigh any bad that he's done, that he's committed. So, so he's thinking he can work his way. He can, he can earn his way to heaven. There, there are two paths that, that are along this line of thinking, moralism and legalism. Moralism is, is being a good person. Being a good person. Legalism is adhering rigidly adhering to god's law to to your own standard of what that means and what that looks like so my standard of god's law is what i need to achieve and i'll be right with god in moralism you're comparing yourself to others let's look around see how everybody's doing and as long as i'm doing a little bit better then i'm good with god they're in trouble but i'm okay that's moralism, comparing yourself to others. Legalism is, is comparing yourself to your, the own standard you've made of God's law. So, if, if, this is where, if this is where everybody needs to... I'm making this decision. This is where everybody ne- needs to be when it comes to God's law. And, hey, I, I'm there 99% of the time, so I'm good. Now, now you guys are, you guys are in trouble because you don't do the, the same things I do the way I do. That's legalism. And both of those are dead ends. They don't reach eternal life. Neither of those paths will succeed in taking you to heaven. Both will utterly and miserably fail. Because both are depending on ourselves. What good deed must I do? Romans 3 28 is the answer to moralism comparing ourselves to one another being a good person Romans 3:28 says for we hold that one is justified that is declared to be right with God declared by God to be right with God that's what justified means in the New Testament for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law So it has nothing to do with with how you're doing and how I'm doing and how we compare with one another because the Bible says you've all utterly failed. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No need to compare to one another. Moralism doesn't work. So the Bible says you have to be saved by something apart from the law because we've all broken the law. We have to be saved by faith. And the object of our faith, of course, is Christ. James chapter 2 verse 10 is the answer to legalism. That is, if I can if I can maintain the standard of God's law that I have concluded myself is the standard of God's law, then I'll be okay with God. James 2:10 says for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point will be accountable for all of it the truth of the matter is when we make our own standard of god's law what that looks like what that means what that what we should do and what we shouldn't do we don't even keep that if we're being honest we don't even keep that and we know we don't we just keep telling ourselves we do in other words our good will never outweigh our bad that's a vain pursuit We can't reach heaven by being the best person we can be. Or thinking the best of ourselves as we can think. Or keeping as many commandments as we can keep and not worrying about the ones that we just can't quite get a handle on. We're not saved by those means. So now in verse 17 jesus and this is kind of surprising probably if if this was your first time reading through this this is kind of an answer that maybe you're not anticipating that jesus would share because jesus answers his question in a way that allows him to keep thinking he's on the right path that's interesting isn't it now why would jesus do that why wouldn't Jesus immediately say, whoa, whoa, you've got it all wrong. You're going the wrong way. You can't get to heaven by doing good deeds, young man. But he doesn't. Jesus responds to this man in a way that that allows the man to think he's, he's going in the right direction. And I believe what, what I suggest Jesus is doing is allowing the man to reach the logical biblical conclusion of where that path ends so allow, allowing the man to come to the conclusion himself to see for himself this is not going to work i can't get to heaven this way because i don't work that way that's what i believe is happening but jesus does throw up a red flag first doesn't he why do you ask me about what is good in other words why is it that you are coming to me and thinking that i'm the one that judges between what's good and what's bad what's right and what's wrong he's pressing him to think a little bit deeper about why he's there why did he come to jesus and not someone else And then he presses him a little bit further about why he's there. Why is he talking to him? And he says, there's only one who is good. So he begins to point out his wrong direction by challenging his direction. Causing him to think a little bit deeper about that question and who he's posing it to. He's asking about a good deed that he can do, but... Jesus is saying, what what you should be doing is looking to God, not to yourself. Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. So he's directing him to God. He's, He's directing him away from himself. Why are you looking to yourself? What good deed must I do? Why aren't you looking to God? And furthermore, God is standing right in front of him. There's only one who is good. There's only one without sin. There's only one whose very character is the definition of goodness without any variable of darkness. And that is God. God's who you should be talking to. Think a little bit deeper about who you're talking to. Because he did say, teacher... So Jesus is teaching him. First, I'm more than a teacher. Why are you asking me? And the next words from Jesus then allows this man to follow that, that logical, biblical conclusion of his current direction. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. If you want to get there by what you can do, then well, just keep the commandments. That's how you do it. On your path that's how you do it you got to keep the commandments now Jesus is referring here to the old covenant and he's teaching this man the same lesson God was teaching in the Old Testament the law the first five books of the Bible opens up in, in Genesis 2, the law opens up with God telling Adam and Eve, now, if you don't eat this tree, you will live. If you eat that tree, you will die. Just keep the commandments and you'll live. The law ends, in the book of Deuteronomy, at the ending of the law, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses tells Israel, if you keep God's commands, if you love Him... If you follow him and if you keep his commands, you will live. But if you turn from following God, if you do not love God and you turn from him and you reject him, you will die. So, if you want to live, just keep the commandments. And then Adam and Eve, you know the story, Genesis 3. Adam and Eve turn from the Lord. You know the Old Testament Israel over and over and over and over turned from the Lord. The lesson is clear, isn't it? So very clear. The only way to be saved by keeping the law is to perfectly keep the law, and we can never do that. We're sinners the law was never meant to save hear me the law was never meant to save it was meant to prove to us we need to be saved because we can't do it that way if that is indeed the only way to be saved we are all doomed the point of the law is you can't be saved this way you have got to have a savior So if the young man was tracking with Jesus, when Jesus says, well, if that's the way you want to do it, just keep the commandments. If the young man was tracking with Jesus, he would have immediately realized, well, wait a minute, (laughs) I can't keep all the commandments, which I can't do. I haven't kept them from birth till now. I'm already doomed. If that's the way to get to heaven, I'm already out. He needs another path to salvation, but like us and and, and like all sinners, he instead looks for a loophole, doesn't he? Jesus says, if you want to enter, which ones? I can still do this. See that that moralistic legalism, it, it creeps in everywhere all the time. Our default position, all of us, even believers, even your pastor, our default switch is about this. Wait a minute, I can rationalize over that. Wait a minute, there's a loophole somewhere and I know I fit in there. We all do it all the time in every situation. As if not every law of God is essential. I mean, God really meant this, but he didn't really mean that surely not, some of them can be discarded. you can kind of pick and choose, surely you don't have to be perfect, surely you don't have to be a hundred percent righteous, surely, if you keep the main ones, the big ones, the ones everybody thinks are are wrong in the current cultural climate the ones that everybody thinks are the big ones because that shifts from season to season there's some big sins 20 years ago they're not so big now so as long as you know moralism kind of keep even keel with everybody around you So Jesus takes him a little step further down this failing path of good deeds and law keeping. And and he tosses out six commandments. They happen to be commandments five through nine of the ten commandments. And then the last one, the sixth one, is kind of the umbrella commandment found in Leviticus. Commandments five through nine have to do with with loving your neighbor. So the, the summary commandment, love your neighbor, kind of covers it all notice when jesus responds to his question which ones jesus leaves out the first big four of the ten commandments which have to do with loving god jesus is taking him somewhere he's not endorsing his path he's taking him down that path to show him that don't work So the young man replied, Jesus lists these commandments, and the young man replied, all these I have kept. So his first thought is, I'm doing pretty good. That's usually our first thought, isn't it? I'm doing pretty good. In in other words, this man lived a pretty good life. I mean, we, we would look to him and say, that's a good man notice with me there's a difference between being a good man and a saved man but we would look at him and say that he's a good man he's a really good neighbor man if he's kept these he's a good neighbor. that's the kind of guy you want to move in beside you right when it comes to loving your neighbor he's got half the commandments down he he, he's in good shape horizontally man to neighbor no complaints it's vertical man to god where the problem comes in and he knows that something is still missing doesn't he he knows down deep in his heart like all of us who are apart from Christ know down deep in our heart that even though we've got all this together and we've got all this in place and we're doing all these good things and compared to others and compared to our own I mean we everything but something is still wrong what do i still lack i'm still empty there's a void that's still there. I've kept all of these. What's going on? He, he knows deep in his heart that even though he has an exemplary life, when it comes to his neighbor, something is still lacking when it comes to God. What good deed must I do to have eternal life? There's something else I need to do. Something's missing. So second point, Jesus identifies the one thing Standing between this man and eternal life. The one thing standing between him and eternal life. He's got one thing in his life that he loves more than God. That's the problem. He spent his whole life loving his neighbor and rejecting God as his treasure, he's an idolater. His wealth, his status, his comfort and security in this life is the thing he treasures most. We're all idolaters, by the way, apart from Christ. So Jesus now helps him identify his idolatry. This is where Jesus has taken him. He helps him come to the conclusion on his own, see it for himself himself. He helps him see that for all of his good works, he's still not right with God because he's holding on to his possessions rather than clinging to God. Now, it's not God's intention that if you're a wealthy person, you can't be saved unless you become a poor person. That's not God's intention. That's not the meaning of this text. The meaning of this text is for this rich man... That was going to keep him from heaven. So Jesus said if you would be perfect. That is if you would be whole. If you would find out what is missing. If you would be right with God. If you would be perfect. If you would be righteous. Go. Sell all your possessions. Give it to the poor. Go get rid of it. Let that one thing go and you will have what you are seeking. Notice with me, notice with me. Jesus has been leading him to the logical conclusion of his own path. But in doing so, Jesus has actually answered his initial question. Verse 16, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Jesus now is answering that. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor. Now, that's a good deed. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor because that one good deed would represent, if you do that, it would represent that you love God more than you love your stuff. That's the one good deed you're missing. That's the one thing that's keeping you. So Jesus follows that command to sell your possessions with a wonderful promise. And that directly answers that initial question too, doesn't it? What good deed must I do to have eternal life? Jesus is answering it right. The answer is right before him. Get rid of your idolatry. Give it to the poor. Make God your treasure. And if you do that, it shows the condition of your heart that you love God more than anything else in this this life. You will have treasure in heaven. In other words, you're not going to really lose anything. In fact, you're going to gain so much more you can't imagine what awaits those who are in christ in glory you can't fathom what awaits those who are in christ forevermore you will have treasure in heaven no greater promise no greater reward But how do you get there, preacher? I thought you said by faith. Exactly. And that's why Jesus says, and come, follow me. Which is Jesus' command to the disciples, right? Follow me. Believe me. Believe in me. Give everything to me. Surrender to me. I am your everything. I am am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Come follow me. Let all that go. Let that one thing go. And come follow me. That's the answer to your question. What good deed must I do to have eternal life? Believe in me. He's taking him right to faith. Come follow me. In tragedy of tragedies, this man forfeited the eternal joy and bliss and eternal treasure of heaven for earthly treasure that can never fill that void in his heart. And one day, he's going to lose that thing that kept him from everything. It is the most it is the most tragic thing in the world to walk away from Jesus. In a in a reversal of the famous missions quote by Jim Elliot, this young man lost he lost what he would have never what he would never lose for something he can never keep. He can never keep his possessions. And he, he traded that for something he would never lose, treasure in heaven. And he walked away sorrowful. We know how it ends, don't we? When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful. Now, now, why, why did he go away sorrowful? Well, Matthew tells us, doesn't he? He says, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for, here's why he was so sorry about the answer Jesus gave him, for he had great possessions. That was the one thing. I'll I'll do anything. I'll do anything, Jesus. Teacher, tell me. What good deed must I do to have eternal life? I'll do anything. Not that one thing. It was just too much for Jesus to ask for all. This young man is sorrowful because he didn't get the answer he wanted. What he wanted was for Jesus to rubber stamp his life, for Jesus to say, You're fine, you're doing right. You got it together look at those folks down there man you're you're so much better than them he was sorrowful because this was not what he wanted to hear he wanted a list he, he wanted to earn his way he, he wanted to be moral enough to gain god's approval he wanted to to he wanted himself to obtain salvation the one thing he didn't want to lose was his treasure And for that one thing, that one thing, he missed life everlasting and free. For 2,000 years, I'm telling you on the authority of God's word now, for 2,000 years, that young man would do anything to go back to this conversation and understand what he's losing So we have to answer the question, don't we? What is our one thing? Maybe it is our possessions. Maybe it is being our own master, calling the shots our way, making our own decisions about who is God and how you get saved and how you get to heaven and if there's a hell and maybe it's being our own master. Maybe it's clinging to sin. There's a sin in our life. It's been there for years. We enjoy it. We hide it. And we're not going to give it up. It's the one thing. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's your reputation. If you really came out as a Lover of Jesus, what would that cost you? Maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's a relationship in your life that you are just not going to allow to be damaged in any way. And if you love Jesus, and it's just not going to work, so you're not going to love Jesus. What is the one thing in your life that up to this point you just won't let go? You'll do anything else. I'll teach Sunday school. I'll I'll give tithes. I'll be at church most Sunday mornings. I'll do this, I'll do that. I'll serve on this committee. I'll go do this outreach. I'll do this, I'll do this, but not this one thing. God can have everything else, but this is just too much well, we can follow this young man today and walk away and miss eternal life. Or we can give it to God today and find that the Bible is actually true. What we find in Christ is far more than what we've been clinging to. He is the fountain of life. Whatever it is, whatever it is that is your one thing, it won't give you life. But Jesus will. Let's pray. Father, this text, as most texts in Scripture, calls us to examine ourselves today. Some of us are outside of faith. We have pretended to be in the faith. We have even kind of cloaked ourselves as as being part of the faith. But we've never really been in the faith because we've never really given Jesus everything. We've never really treasured Christ above everything else. There's been this one thing that we've just kept holding on to because essentially we love it more than we love the lord and today walking through this text you've revealed that to us and it's 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 not easy to let it go and it almost feels like we're being ripped apart but but we're ready to let that go today we want jesus more than we want anything else in this life we want to be born again that that may be exactly where some of us are today for the rest of us who who truly are in the faith who who truly have come to Christ we've we've let those things slip back in the closets of our lives and 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 walking through this text we 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 know that that Jesus is our lord and savior but we also know boy have we been distracted and we have gotten things way out of priority and perspective and and we've we're clinging to this one since we came to Jesus somehow this other thing came in our lives and 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 we're loving it more we're 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 idolaters today and and we don't want that anymore we're ready we're ready for to to freshly surrender and 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 Mark our faith in Christ today. So Lord, we just ask that what, whatever it is, wherever you're leading, however you are speaking to us today, that we might respond in faith, that we might let the things go and cling to Christ and find Him so much greater. Treasure in heaven is so much greater. Christ is so much greater. We ask by your grace you would lead us there today. Bring us there today. Cause that hunger and thirst within us today. And you be glorified in all that you do in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch, P67 missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens. You.